2: The Athletic Well, hello listeners. Are we still smiling after that super start to the season for Manchester United? I'm sure we are. This is Talk of the Devils, of course, the athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving with you now twice a week throughout this Premier League season on Mondays and Thursdays. So joining me today, as usual, we have the athletics, Laurie Whitwell. Hello, Laurie. How are you doing, Ian? Okay. I'm good, thanks, pal. Yeah. And we've also got the editor of United We Stand, and writer, of course, for The Athletic, Andy Mitton. Hello, Andy. Hello, Ian. Hi, Laurie. Let's get cracking. Let's get cracking, indeed. Lots to talk about, again. A little later on in the podcast, then, we'll be previewing United's trip to Southampton this weekend and, of course, the first away trip for all you fans going down there in a very long time. There'll be a lot of excitement for that. A lot of crates of beer being purchased for the journey to Southampton as well, I'm sure. Uh, But we're going to actually talk about something that happened 25 years ago this week. You might have seen bits and bobs about it. Uh, this week in the media, but basically, picture the scene August the 17th, 1996 Cellars Park, Wimbledon against Manchester United. United are leading 2 0 when Brian McLaren nudges the ball to David Beckham just inside the halfway line. And Beckham saw Sullivan off his line. My
0: favourite goal um, has to be the one against Wimbledon. You know, everybody talks about it and everybody talks about the history of it, but how important it was. You know, for me personally in my career. But I was more happy that the fact that Eric Cantona came up to me after and said good goal. That was that was better than scoring the goal. But you know, to hear something like that from Eric. You know, he was everyone's hero. He might have been in the same team as us and we saw him day in and day out. But you know, for us young lads, he was a hero. Sullivan couldn't get back. Well, you might expect Eric Cantona to do that, but he would have admired it. David Beckham, surely an England player of the future scores a goal that will be talked about and replayed for years.
2: Yes, the halfway line goal from David Beckham. Infamous, of course, at Wimbledon over the head of Neil Sullivan. 25 years old this week. One of the most iconic moments in United's history and really the moment that launched him into superstardom as well. He actually wrote in his autobiography, My Side, a few years ago, When my foot struck that ball, it kicked open the door to the rest of my life, which I think is a lovely line. Andy, what do you remember about it?
0: Not as much as I should because, um, well, I went to Sellers Park. Those were the days where United had huge allocations, bigger than any other away ground. We're talking 15,000 tickets. And then you get loads of United fans in the home sections because Palace were better supported than Wimbledon. But Wimbledon wasn't their ground and they didn't have a, a big fan base. And what I remember is leaving on the 89th minute, because we used to sell a lot of copies of United We Stand because we had this huge away following. So we'd all drive down from Manchester, we'd fill a car full of fanzines, there'd be five of us, and we'd sell loads of copies. But to do that, you've got to leave before the end to catch the crowd or or the out in swag selling terms. So stood outside the half-awake stand, um, new United We Stand out today, New United We Stand out today. And and business was brisk. People were leaving the ground. Manchester United had won. Great start to the season. Bang, bang, bang. heard this roar. Whoa. Oh, I've missed a goal. And it was that goal. So travelled all the way there, which from Manchester to Sellers Park is is probably easier to get to the moon if you're going to travel by road. And went all that way and saw a good performance, but missed the goal, the one which people talk about. So I'm afraid I cannot say, you know, I was 10 yards away as I saw his his foot (laughs) clip underneath into the turf. I missed it. I missed it. The first time I saw it, I don't even know if it was back in time for Match of the Day. Was was it on Match of the Day at the time? Laurie, can, can you remember? This is my memory of it, Andy, where it
3: was one of those moments that everyone told you, you've got to watch Match of the Day tonight, which is kind of like a nice sort of contrast to modern times where it's on Twitter within seconds, everyone's seeing it, it's passing it around. And actually, I think I was at a swimming gala, I think in Birkenhead, you know, I was nine at the time. The word goes round that, blimey, this has been some incredible goal scored by David Beckham uh, today. Um, you know, everyone needs to go watch it. And I think people have been listening to it on the radio, for example. So, um, yeah, it's one of those where you go home, you watch it. I'm sure I went home. I'm sure it was one of those late nights that I was allowed to stay up for, um, and first game of the season wasn't it? I think that was the other thing that stands in my mind that the the first game of the previous season was that Grey Kit, Aston Villa, United getting Tonk 3-1, the kids, you know, I think Beckham played in that game. Whereas this one was like, actually here we are, you know, United mean business this season, David Beckham scoring from the halfway, halfway line, party atmosphere. Uh, I mean, the celebrations were great, weren't they? Was it McClure that got on his shoulders? I sort of forget exactly who jumped on who, but um, Beckham with his arms outstretched. It's a proper iconic moment, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, the celebration made it, really. It's like Eric's goal against Sunderland as well. The goal was great, but the celebration sort of just added to it. Arms in the air and a little smirk on his (laughs) face, realising what he'd done. I I was actually sat outside an Asda in the car, listening to it on the radio while my mum and dad did the the weekly shop. Um, And I was the same as you. I remember the desperation to see the goal now, you'd literally have it on Twitter in seconds wouldn't you and obviously all the official channels push it out uh, pretty quickly as well compared to having to wait up that night, I was the same age, nine as well, to, to see his goal. I think with him as well, there was lots of moments along the way that sort of made Beckham who he was including of course the World Cup and everything that happened with Diego Simeone including of course wearing a sarong Including, of course, having blonde curtains, and the moment he stepped out, still see the picture of him and Posh Spice stepping out for the, to, to announce the engagement and everything that went with it. But Andy, that was the moment, wasn't it? Yeah, as Loris said, it, it, was a, it was an
0: iconic image of, of of the way that he celebrated and united. Adam, um, it was it was ninety ninety six, uh, just won the double, young team, Beckham's star was absolutely in The ascendancy, the new signings that summer were not huge names. Carol Paborski, Jordi Cruyff, uh, players who'd done well in Euro 96, Ronnie Johnson, he cost 1.6 million, but they didn't need to be. Fergie had built up such a bank of credit by winning so much, he, you know, he, he could have signed like. A dustbin man, and no one would have been. People just trusted him uh, totally. But I just remember thinking, because Giggs had been really famous. I remember interviewing Giggs in that year, in February, March that year, and talking about Beckham, and he was relieved that someone had taken over his mantle of, like, on on his way to superstardom and a level far higher um, than than Giggs ever uh, reached. And I don't think Giggs ever wanted to. To reach that, but Beckham embraced that that celebrity culture sometimes to the frustration of, of Sir Alex Ferguson, who was who was very old school. But I mean, he had everything. He, he was incredibly good player. He worked hard. He was a good looking lad. He was a style icon. I remember being in Manchester, going in um, in a shop on King Street, and the shop assistant showing me some um, cargo pants, saying Beckham was in here last week and he bought them, and like. What what he was actually really in this shot, this you know, twenty two year old lad, or however old he was. So, I think his cultural impact was was very strong. But that the fact that he rose out of out of living in Manchester made it even even more interesting because he was different to the other lads. I mean, they embraced him, they were good mates with him, they backed him, but he was very different in terms of his personality and influences.
2: Yeah, Laurie, Andy was old enough to know better, wasn't he, in terms of following his style. I don't think either of us wore a sarong, but we both styled our hair a certain way, didn't we? Well, I'm
3: enjoying hearing... (laughs) So so what was it, the blonde highlights you went for,
2: Ian? I didn't have curtains. I didn't go full curtains, but I had some blonde tint, yeah, in Oldham, in about the late 90s yeah so there wasn't many of
3: us (laughs) yeah curtains. it was for me I thought I looked cool as I don't know I think he styled it a little bit better didn't he and when you mentioned actually then the the engagement um sort of they did like a proper announcement didn't they like they came out in front of a where were they I and mean, it's like snappers and cameramen and they're all it's like a royal engagement you're thinking it's Posh and becks, but obviously you know they knew which
2: way they were going they did everything those two didn't <laughs> really in fairness I mean he even inspired me as a centre half playing for Chadian boys to wear silver predators <laughs> how on earth I got away with that in the tame side in District League I've got absolutely no idea did you ever try scoring from the halfway line obviously didn't we all I mean that was it, Everyone wanted to do a Beckham. It that it did actually become a Beckham, didn't it? That's how sort of iconic it was at the time. Um, and it like you said before, though, it, it was almost a blessing and a curse for Beckham at United, wasn't it? Yeah, because he, he played um, for a team which was loved and loathed.
0: And because he was the most emblematic, iconic um, figure, uh, when things went against him, usually for the England national team, he got an awful lot of stick. I never thought he was United's best player, and when he like actually left, I could understand the footballing reasons for him going. And I can remember, I've never been busier as a journalist when Beckham was linked to Barcelona and then to, to Real Madrid. The Spanish press played it as we are we are taking Manchester United's best player, and I was like, he's not. He's maybe the fifth or sixth best player, and absolutely worth his place in the starting eleven, and. But Fergie decided to sell him. It, it wasn't the other way around. But he'll be remembered as um, as a United legend. I'm not talking statue material because he didn't he didn't play enough games. But he was he was an incredibly good player, and his free kicks had become iconic. And he gave it his all. And he, he was a United fan. And I remember the players called themselves United fans. They knew nothing about the club com- compared to Beckham, who was from Leighton Stone in in London. He really was obsessive about it, and I think that helped him and Gary Neville as well. That that the mentality was just um, faultless, and that's why they made it. I mean, because so many talented players don't make it, and then uh, he embraced the the celebrity side of things. And um, I remember a job about ninety eight. I'd lived in London. i lived in London for a year, and I was sent to to Sotheby's because Beckerman and Victoria's Porsche was up for auction, and it was the one which they'd leaned on in their first date. And but this is surreal. I'm being sent to to write about this, and there's all these like really posh people trying to explain the cultural significance or insignificance of, of this secondhand car. Sometimes there was tension because it's not a very Manchester Northern thing to to self-aggrandize, and I don't think that Beckham did it, but there's, there's this very northern thing of like, don't bring attention to yourself, play things down rather than up. I think he's he's been incredibly successful. He became like a global superstar.
2: When did you last see him, Andy?
0: Um, I was in a large Asian city, and I was in the company of um, four or five lads, all of whom. Had played at least three hundred games for Manchester United, and we, at the end of a day's um, work, we were in a bar, and one of the lads said to me, "Andy, sort the music out, put some Manchester tunes on." So, so I did that. We had one of our phones, and we plugged it in, and we had, you know, we we had some decent music going on, and then one of them said, "Bex is coming." Oh right, okay, so. David Beckham just just turns up and it's like one o'clock in the morning. And the recognition for him was far, far, far higher than any of the other major names who who, who I was with. And one of the first things Beckham said was something like, who's put this shit music on? And of course, it was me. And so straight away, I'm in a position where I am defending my musical choice, which the other lads liked and a jigging tune, because I'm proud of Manchester's musical history. And David Beckham, obviously being a cockney who's lived in Paris and Madrid and Milan and Miami, has got very different taste in music. I, you know, people love from all those, lived in all those places, they're into like moon music or whatever. So he takes control of the music and I'm basically pretty powerless. I'm not going to fight with him and an argument with him. And he just put on some, you know, whatever cockneys who've lived in Paris and Madrid and Milan put on. Yeah. You feel the pressure, man. I know the pressure. And my wife, he is a spice like I'm David Beckham. A lot of pent up aggression coming out of my section. Actually, I think it was Drake. It was pretty decent. I remember thinking that's a good tune that I might get into him. So he, he, was, he was ahead of the game. So not seen him since he, he moved to, to Miami. Uh, he still keeps in touch with his old teammates. He, they, they try and have like um, a night out once a year and they speak well of him I don't hear anyone saying big time idiot they're,
2: they're, they're still protective over him he chose a different route and good luck to him for that One thing about Beckham actually that we, that we should mark was his relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson so of course he was his manager throughout his time at Old Trafford and this is what he made of that outrageous goal back in 1996
4: Absolutely superb the first game day of the season you have to say it'll be the goal of the season and not been. Unfair, Wouldn't it would have to be something wonderful to beat that, because it's not, I've never seen it done before. Quite simple, that. From just inside his own half. Exactly, yeah. Well, Jordi Cruyff had tried just a minute beforehand, and uh, it was unfortunate, um, but just sliced wide. And I think possibly i put the seed in David's mind that maybe the goalkeeper is venturing off his line. But what a marvellous strike of the ball, dear me.
2: And, uh, sometimes managers ask us commentators to just go easy in praising young players but I have to say David Beckham the superlative just run off the tongue at the moment
4: Well he started the season very well and of course he's got stronger I've always said that but the boy he's going to take time I'm not going to rush him he'll be rested many games this season I want him to be playing for Manchester United when 27-28 and uh, we'll, we'll nurse him along but obviously he's um, had a great start to the season for us
2: So as the manager says there, Andy, it could have been Jordi Cruyff marrying Posh Spice, couldn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. I
2: think um, Jordi was a good player
0: and he was maligned a little bit because he wasn't as good as his dad. But he was a very good footballer, Jordi, and he had a decent career. And he was too young when he moved to Manchester. And I got to know Jordi, and I'm still in touch with him. And he was gutted to move to Manchester because he had to leave his home city of Barcelona. He was wrapped up in the politics because his dad had been manager there. And he finds himself living in Manchester, 21 years old, hated being put in a huge house on the outskirts of the city, couldn't understand why big English clubs did that. He was used to living in a busy, bustling city, where there was life, where he could go downstairs and have a coffee. And I, I've spoke to him sort of 10 years after that, 20 years after that, and he said he was just too immature to handle it. And he also said that he didn't have much luck with injuries. His attitude wasn't as good as it could have been. And he gave me a great line. He said, I'm like a bear. I'd hibernate in the winter because he was brilliant pre-season, Jordi. And he'd start the season really well, like in that, in that game. And then it just didn't work out for him. But yeah, he's got a really good football mind and he speaks incredibly well. And, and now he's the main man at FC Barcelona, so he's got a right job on his hands. So I won't worry about trying to get in that Man United team. <laughs> his big problem now is trying to sort Barcelona out. But of them summer signings, I think... Him and Karel Poborski didn't really work out and, and Ronnie Johnson that absolutely did. But, you know, you're deflopped and, and he and he would admit that.
2: Yeah, we've veered from the topic a little bit, Laurie, so we'll bring it back. Um, Beckham's relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson then. Um, the boot incident, probably the one thing that really publicly sticks in the mind and all the paparazzi pictures of his cut above his eye and stuff. Just remind the listeners if they don't remember or they've never heard this story before, what actually happened with that?
3: It was after uh, an FA Cup game, wasn't it, against Arsenal. Um, United lost 2-0 at home. Um, I, th- I was at that game and G- Giggs missed uh, an open net, I think. Um, so really, the boot could have been fired his, at his head. Fergie said, hasn't he, you know, I could I could do that shot You a know, hundred more times, it would never hit that same spot, but you never know. It was obviously something was going on that season. And it was the season he left, wasn't it? It was 2002-03. And, you know, clearly Beckham knew what he was doing by, you know, he could have gone into training that day, the next day with a bobble hat over the cut. Instead, he has it revealed, hair scraped back and, you know, the the butterfly stitches are there. So, you know, he obviously wanted to make sure that people understood that he'd had, you know, a bit of, um, you know, an issue in the dressing room, shall we say. And clearly that, that you know, portrayed the difficulties that they were having. Clearly Ferguson accepted that he was a brilliant player. He knew Hard worker, as Andy's mentioned there, you know, I think people underestimate just how much he got up and down that wing, you know, for United. And I think people do underestimate how good a player he was, but. You know, so Fergie recognised that in his game, the hard work that he put in, but clearly it had got to a point where he felt the uh, you know the, the glamour of, of of the 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 outside life, the celebrity life, was perhaps taking away from the team dynamic, and and that was something that Fergie, you know, no player bigger than the club, no player bigger than him, could could accept. So let's see where you can go. Listen, going to Real Madrid and United were well well recompensed for that is is not a bad move. Um and I actually remember the when you were talking earlier, Andy, about his departure. I remember going to the final game that he had at Old Trafford, um, against Charlton, and he scored in that game, and after the game it was still uncertain exactly whether he was gonna go or not. It was you know, you'd had rumours, you sort of knew there was something brewing, but it was still in your heart of hearts, there was this guy that had been there throughout the, the you know the early part of the nineties, and and you'd seen some great times with you know the, the treble, you know so many different titles, and you think he's not really going to go. Is he you've got you got you got Gary Neville there, you got Ryan Giggs there, you got Paul Scholes still there. You know it, it can't be Beckham that goes. And he, he he was on the pitch at the end. I'm not sure exactly with how many kids, but certainly one of them. And he was sort of waving to the fans. And at that point, I was like, hey, he's he's going, isn't he? This is his goodbye. And then they still had one more game, didn't they? Away to Everton, he scored in that one as well. So as a send off, not a bad not a bad way to do it. But um, but yeah, it was it was. It, you could see. You so, I think at that point you sort of felt fair enough. He wants to go. Ferguson's made his decision it'll be really sad to see him go and clearly every, every time he's come back since there's been that affection from the fans to him I think everyone appreciates what he's done for the club you know regardless of what happens in his outside life
2: Andy in your mind was it a decision that Ferguson made or do you think Beckham was as desperate to leave as anything else Fergie 100% made it and he
0: and he did exactly the same with Ruud van Nistelrooy and that's where the Spanish press got it wrong they, they were subservient to Real Madrid as they often are and like we are capable of picking the best players off the clubs who pretend to be as big as us, like Manchester United. It it simply was not true. And Beckham joined a club with all those Galacticos. I think there's a cursory warning, warning here for people who think PSG are going to run away with everything this year. That Beckham um, side that he joined had um, Luis Figo, Zidane, Roberto Carlos, Casillas, Gucci, Raul, the lot of them, and they finished fourth. And he tried in Spain. He didn't really learn Spanish, but he was very popular in the dressing room. And I remember speaking to his manager from his first season, Carlos Quieros, years later, and he said to me, you know, something's puzzled me ever since. He said, after training each day, Beckham and Roberto Carlos would have a, have a, cup of tea or a coffee or whatever. And they talk for an hour. What confuses me is Roberto can't speak English and Beckham couldn't speak Spanish. And this would happen every day. And he said, I still don't know the answer to that. And I don't know the answer, but I'm just imagining these two conversing, whether it was, I don't know, sign language or or whatever. But he had his moments at United and, and good and bad. I remember... 98 being probably the worst worst time for him, when Fergie was actually very protective over him. Beckham was vilified by a lot of people in England. And remember the first away game of the season, West Ham away. So the type of people who were proper on Beckham's back for his part in that defeat to, to Argentina. Great game. And I found myself sat in the main stand at Upton Park and surrounded by proper East Enders, And I kept my mouth shut because... That was a ground with a real edge. And they were talking about the thing that, that Londoners talk about, how much money they earn, the price of houses, the, the Queen Mother, the craze, jelly deals, apples, pears, that sort of things. And the conversation moved on to, to Beckham. And I, I will never forget one of them saying, amid all the abuse that Beckham was getting, I'd love him here. I'd absolutely love him here because he was one of their own. He was was an East London lad. That was like a a respect. Sometimes the players who get the most abuse are are the best players. And he never, you know, he would have been too big to play for for West Ham. And I, I just never forget that. I think underneath all the abuse and the dartboards, which were printed in national newspapers with his head in the middle. I mean, I don't think you get that now because it would it would just it would just be no you wouldn't it would be, be condemned so strongly and I don't know how he mentally how we put up with it all and there was no social media at the time and he's always had good management around him he's always had like a top level sophistication of of PR people um who've been very good and you know, you've know, you got to deliver on, on the pitch as well, but I think they maximised what he had and obviously with his wife, that, that all added to it. And, but, but look look where he played. If you could sort of cherry pick the, the clubs that anyone would like to play for in the cities, you know, the fashion cities for his wife and his family, it's amazing. And, and he was a success in all of them. He didn't go at PSG and flop or Madrid. He was, he, was a, he was a very good Real
2: Madrid player. He wasn't as good as Zidane, but he was a very good Real Madrid player. Do you know what's always puzzled me about Beckham in a way, Laurie? He never really had a chant, did he? You know, there's only one David Beckham was as close as it got, but he never really had a chant. Why do you think that was? Um, yeah,
3: but I mean, he might not have had a chant, but I felt like he had a lot of affection from United fans because, particularly in that 98-99 season, Andy mentioned, you know after the World Cup and he's getting vilified, the effigy had been hung outside that pub. Um, he would go. I remember he would go to take corners, you know, away grounds or even at Old Trafford when you know obviously they've got the away fans in that one of the corners, and he'd get booed every time he went to go take a corner. And then in response, the United fans would cheer him and clap him, and it was kind of like this weird sort of jostling for for sort of showing you know affection or, or kind of hatred. And and but I think ultimately that would have. Seeped into his consciousness and thought, actually, yeah, these guys are on my side. Every time it looks like I'm getting a bit of stick, they're there uh, to defend me. So didn't have a champ, but he did have, you know, some some people to back him up in those corner flags.
2: I remember him making sort of like an image of sweeping away coins and lighters <laughs> and anything else that had been thrown in his direction just before taking a corner, sort of just clearing that corner out so he could then place the ball down, straighten his hair, <laughs> and then whip another brilliant crossing. Laurie, have you ever met David Beckham with his top off?
3: Funny you should mention that. Actually, in <laughs> it's not quite as good a story as Andy. I mean, Andy's always got a better story than me. But my only crumb of a David Beckham story, having met him, is just uh, when I was working in New York uh, for the for the Mail Online, they'd like just opened up an office online and they sent a few kids out there to do it. And I was like, right, how can I get from football involved here? New York Red Bulls were playing LA Galaxy. Red Bulls had Thierry Henry. Galaxy had David Beckham. I was like, this is perfect. Went to the game. And obviously, in America, like it's just much more open, isn't it? You know, if you, if it, if that was in England, you'd be like, no chance, you'd get to see these guys. But actually, they need to be put up. They are put up. So anyway, waited down in the dressing room area. He comes out shirtless, tattoos on display, looking resplendent, smelling great. I was like, yeah, this is this is all right. Um, and we were just trying to, we we're peppering him. we were just trying to get him. On where he was going to go in January, basically, it was 2011, so I think he think he'd played for AC Milan at this point, And we now PSG were on the cards, and so we we're asking, him, Are you going to go to Paris? You're going to go to Paris, and he obviously knew exactly what he was going to say because he's you know been in this situation so many more times. And he just sort of very calmly complimented Leonardo, who I think was you know, was a sporting director at the time. So subtly let setting the scene for you know a potential move there at some point. I think it was a couple of years later that he actually did, did go, but um, yeah, just he just came across as a very cool guy, you know, a nice guy as well, wasn't like. Like he was sort of aloof from anybody. He was happily having a chat with us, you know, people that were having dictaphones in his faces. So, yeah, that was quite a nice experience with him. I think he was a good media
0: professional, Laurie, and he could handle things from different areas. And I saw an example of that. And he wasn't always protected by his own people when he moved abroad. So on the day that Margaret Thatcher died, he played against Barcelona. I think it was for PSG. And I remember an Argentinian journalist collaring him next to me. And saying Thatcher's died, she said something very uncomplimentary about her because of the Falklands War, and tried to hook Beckham on saying something negative about Margaret Thatcher relating to the Falklands War. And I'm thinking a few things here. Wow, you've got some balls as a journalist to be doing de- doing this. And two, the way that Beckham just he just he just dealt with it seamlessly, and it was like he just used to. Um, having people trying to monster him all the time and he had a lot of experience of, of dealing with the media and and that served him in good stead when he travelled around to places like New York where you saw him
2: yeah I did a press conference at Old Trafford a few years ago when Beckham was there promoting a, a UNICEF game and you know it was, it was the usual press pack more or less a lot of hardened journalists there really and Beckham just walked in very smart and dapper in a suit hair perfect he probably smelled great Laurie but I didn't get close enough um, and <laughs> But I just, you just sort of felt the room melt, almost. You know, he just sort of like smiled and said good morning, and he sort of felt everyone go, oh, good morning, David. You know, it was like he just had them eaten out of his hands before he'd even got on with a press conference. He just had that manner, that, that, that aura of it about him. The fact that it was David Beckham, people felt lucky that David Beckham was there. Uh, so whatever sort of hardened, sharpened questions were coming his way, they almost melted away in that moment that he just walked in and smiled.
3: It's Beckham.
0: It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Both in its execution and its timing because boy, did Manchester United need something like that then.
1: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover.
3: Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. <laughs>
2: Laurie, there's been plenty of good stuff once again written about Manchester United on The Athletic this week. What should the listeners be looking out for? A
3: couple of bit of transfer uh, news. Um, Andres Pereira um, is going to join Flamengo over in Brazil on loan. Um, Sounds like there's an option to buy there for them for 20 euros which is, you know, if they take that up, then that's not a bad incoming for them. Clearly, uh, Pereira's, um, you know, not Required really for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, certainly this season, and I, I think you know, long term it's going to be one where United are look at an exit. Um, also, Brandon Williams um, is close to a lone move to Norwich, um, which is good for him. You know, he's, he needs to go out and get regular games. I think Norwich is a good club for him. I think that one might get announced after Sunday's game against Southampton, which I'm sure we'll touch upon. Um, I think United are just a little bit conscious of having enough full backs in, in the different areas to, to cover for the season. And then, yeah, done a piece on Paul Pogba today, talking about his. Fitness coming back from holiday, um, you know. United are always a little bit um, conscious of how players return back from from preseason, you know, breaks. Um, but Pogba came back fit and firing, um, his best shape that he's been in at United at this stage of the season. Um, thanks in part to some conditioning sessions from Miami Heat coaches, I'm told, which is a nice contrast to previously when he's been playing basketball and there's been some eyebrows raised, you know, when he had his ankle injury that he was recovering from um, so it sounds like it's a sort of good situation there but it, albeit that still the contract is there on the table for Manchester United I'm told that it's a contract that is would make him United's highest paid player which I think is you know fair enough given the standing that he's in but it's on the table he's not in any rush obviously there's PSG there um, it's one to watch but I don't think anything will happen as a resolution before the end of the transfer window but yeah you can go online and, and read the full piece for, for, for all the details there and then the other piece that I did that got a lot of traction um, got a few Liverpool fans irate um, because I was talking about Jurgen Klopp's comments um, before the start of the season where he was wondering how United had managed to sign you know, these big players for, for decent sums of money um, when his own club had perhaps you know, been a bit more modest, bringing in Konate only. Um, so I kind of went through and, and said, listen, obviously United have paid in installments for Varane, for Sancho, Um, The number of years as well, uh, five for Sancho, four for Varane. Also, Donny van der Beek, that was a transfer that was paid for in instalments. So, you know, you're sort of looking at how United are actually doing these deals now, as opposed to Harry Maguire, where they were told by Leicester, you've got to pay up front. Bruno Fernandes, a lot of that was up front. So it took a, a bigger hit to their immediate cash flow. The cash revenues went down, whereas this, you know, they've actually managed to spread them out. You know, we all love a Klarna deal, don't we? That was the point of the article. You know, hopefully people can read it and see a little bit of information
0: in there. Um, yeah, and, and enjoy it, hopefully.
2: Andy, you've even been copying a bit of grief for that article you didn't even write it. No, I
0: just retweeted Laurie, you know, like a good colleague would do. And suddenly I'm getting grief from Liverpool fans saying, Klopp meant this, he didn't mean that. I like, whoa, whoa, this! I've not got a dog in this fight. I'm just trying to help someone... <laughs> Someone, someone the out there. No problem, mate. So you still want to meet them Scousers later on at Birchwood <laughs> Services. Sweet. You know the way they're after your swimming galas, don't you? Laurie <laughs> the Eel they used to call you over there. <laughs> so yeah, um and, and I've been doing loads of stuff myself for, for the Athletic in some um some sort of longer term stuff. So uh, been busy. Um and then got Southampton at, at the weekend. So I think mean that that's yeah. it's always one of my favourite away games. Uh, The atmosphere there is, is one of the best. I don't know why that is. Maybe, you know, there's pubs near the ground. Um, Maybe the acoustics of the away end, maybe the ground being in the city centre, maybe because United tend to do okay there, but this will be the first um, away game with a full allocation post, post COVID. So it really is falling back into place. You know, we're, I wouldn't say we're taking it for granted that full crowds are back, but it just feels fantastic again. Um, You've got the buzz around the, the Leeds win and then Southampton away. And I, I've been speaking to a few people who know Southampton well, and they're not optimistic. You know, they feel that the club is not in a, in a good place compared to where it's been in the last few years. And their conveyor belt of talent uh, isn't really producing as much. And Danny Ings left them on the edge of... Of the start of uh, this season. So, United had a great result there last year, but it was an odd game because the first half, United didn't play that badly, but were 2 0 down. And then Cavani came on and just totally changed the game. So, a repeat of that, please. Some, a, re, a repeat of that result. I mean, if United can win two out of two at the start of the season, And, you know, Blurish talks about Pogba and the reasons why he was doing well. I've been speaking to people about Pogba too. Definitely in a good place at the moment. Very, very happy around the club. And I think that bodes well because he's such an important player in the dressing room. For a long time after Rooney and um, uh, Robin Van Persie moved on, Pogba was like the main man. A lot of the younger players looks up to him. So if you've got a player of his stature who's happy and playing well, uh, then I think that's a good thing. But I spoke to one agent yesterday uh, who's not a Manchester United fan and he winds me up a bit and he just said, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer. And of course, it was only that one game against Leeds United. But it was a good start, but they need to build on that now. I think anything... United dropped dropped a p- two points at Southampton 1920, uh, right at the start of the season, like this game is, and played very well in the first half, especially Juan Mata, and I think he um, he combined well with Dan James, but dropped two points, and that sort of set the template for the next the months which followed. So let's whack a load of wins in, especially with City losing, and then wobbling a little bit. Uh, be great if United got a win at Southampton.
2: Yeah, they really do need to build on last weekend, don't they? You don't want the momentum to be taken away with dropping two points at Southampton because you want the feel-good factor to continue for the next time that United are at Old Trafford and get that whole atmosphere firing once again and, and driving the players on as well which we saw at the weekend uh, you mentioned there edison cavani actually laurie there's a question from Durav um that's on the real time section of the app on the athletic again look out for that ahead of the pods each week so sort of sundays and wednesdays laurie or Kalanka will be putting out uh, a little message to ask for your questions so Durav's done exactly that he says when could we see cavani returning and also when could Rashford return to fitness as well?
3: Yeah, I think Cavani's getting closer, isn't he? Um, he's back in Manchester. He's training now at Carrington. So it's just a case of getting him match Sharp. I mean, it's similar to Jadon Sancho, who had a, a longer break because he wasn't playing for England, basically. I know he was away and, and training and what have you, but match fitness wasn't wasn't right there. So that's why he started on the bench against Leeds. I think it'll be a similar situation with Cavani where he's eased back in. Um, I think Greenwood's performance and the fact that Martial is fit Gives gives Solskjaer options there. It's not like it's imperative to to force him back in. It's not like they're desperate to get him straight back in. But as you say, he offers something different. He changed the game at Southampton last season. So, clearly, I think Solskjaer will be looking to get him in as soon as possible. Maybe maybe the next game um, following that. I mean, they've got Wolves away in the league after that. So, that could... You know, offer up an opportunity, Um, that's on a Sunday as well. Um, and then, yeah, Rashford, he's had his surgery, all went well. So it's just a case of rehabbing that. And the original sort of prognosis was 12 weeks. Um, so we'll see. You know, there's a, a stretch of games in October that are pretty difficult. That I think he, I'm sure he'd look to try and get back for. Um, you know, it was an operation to clear out a long-standing thing that you know, wasn't worsening, but equally wasn't getting better. And he wants to be 100% for United because clearly there were moments last year when he wasn't you know, being able to do what he wanted to do on a pitch so hopefully when he comes back it's all sorted and I think we're looking at yeah October time for Rashford's return
2: Just to round things off finally then on this Southampton game Andy do you expect Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to name the same 11 that beat Leeds so convincingly? I wouldn't be surprised if he did I
0: don't think there are any weak points in that 11 and as Laurie's saying there are players who are getting closer to full fitness it's one reason why there was that behind closed doors game against Burnley this week at Old Trafford. And they'll tell you that none of the players are anything like 100% at the moment. And and I know that before the season started, the mood had definitely been good around Carrington. But somebody said to me, we've just got to get these first two or three games. We've just got to get, get points in them, get wins in them. Almost as if there was like a nervousness, that not enough players were ready because while the preseason was much better than last season, it was still far from ideal for the reasons we've been explaining. So I thought we could pick out eight or nine players from the performance against Leeds. And United are fortunate that the fixtures at the start of this season have been pretty forgiving. I remember David Moyes really thinking there was a conspiracy against him in his first season genuinely that the Premier League wanted a different champion and had hit him with, I think Chelsea, Liverpool and city in the first five matches. Now with the benefit of hindsight, fans won't have much sympathy for those comments, but I think Ollie can be thankful.
2: I felt like I got stick for that working for the Premier League, going into his press conferences at the time. Right. Well, see. So you're coming at it from a different side. So he was, he was telling me that
0: after it had happened and he, he to this day would believe that. And I think United are pretty fortuitous with with the start this season, but if you can get into a role of winning and players like Lindelof doing really well when everyone expects him to be moved to one side, when Verand's ready to go, it's a great position for the manager to to be in. And and then you can go to Anfield with confidence or to Stamford Bridge or to City. And I still don't think United will win the league this year, but if you start picking up a few major, major results and, improving year on year, which is absolutely possible because United started so poorly in recent seasons, then the, the, the optimism which we feel after that one game will, ju- will just spread.
2: I heard Paul Scholes speaking, actually, Laurie, after the game uh, against Leeds and this idea that now the Europa League final, Solskjaer felt like he couldn't make any changes, really, to, to, to alter the course of that game or, or certainly didn't make the changes to alter the course of that game. Whereas against Leeds... You've got people like Martial and Jadon Sancho sat on the bench and the likes of Cavani and Rashford not even in the squad. Andy's talked there about the situation in defence as well. All of a sudden, it's difficult to know what Manchester United's starting eleven is going to be week to week. That's a good thing, isn't it? Really
3: good thing. Obviously, you know, you want consistency you want players to understand their roles but equally if you can spread a bit of uncertainty in the opposition then that's a bonus and they've got different ways of playing you know sometimes he's pulled out the back three um, you know the system against Leeds was, was kind of it was a 4-2-3-1 but Pogba was given more license to get in field and get on the ball more so it's sort of at times was a 4-3-3 with Greenwood coming out to the left um, and also that is another point that you've got these players that can play in different positions Greenwood, Marshall, Pogba, Rashford when he's back you know, there's, there's there's few players that are kind of fixed in their roles. And I think United wants to get to a point where they could field 1-11 to with players that all, everybody knows about, but the, the opposition aren't exactly sure how they'll shape on the pitch. You know, we've seen that with Man City previously where they've, you know, thrown a, a spanner in the works of opponents and, and been able to field a really surprising uh, formation from the 11 that, that everybody knows. I know it hasn't worked out perfectly every time for Man City, you know, the Champions League final is a recent example. But I think that is a good thing if you can have flexibility of position from players because it just means you've got more openings for for, for sort of getting through those defenses that listen, they won't be as open as they were against Leeds. Leeds, you know, play a kind of international style they attack. They go man for man. Whereas you'll have teams like against, you know, Burnley, closed door friendly. You know, a, a team that can sit back, defend. They're going to need different um, tools to kind of break through those kind of defenses. So I think you know, it feels like United are in a good place. But obviously, you know, proof is in the pudding.
2: Yeah, let's see how sharp those tools are at Southampton at the weekend. Laurie and Andy, thank you very much for your company. Before we go, don't forget, you can get a 33% discount on a subscription to The Athletic at the moment. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to take advantage of this special offer. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. So thank you, Andy and Laurie. Thank you to you guys listening at home as well. We'll be back on Monday with our reaction to hopefully another win for Manchester United at Southampton. See you then.